Thank you very much, Jenny and, and everyone, Josh. Josh just preached an entire gospel message with Rebecca and with the rest this morning to us, and that was phenomenal. Um, good morning, everybody. We're here. Good. <clears throat> we're getting towards the end of this series uh, that we're going through the book of Galatians. Galatians? That's not a book, <laughs> unless you're from East Belfast, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Colossians, and we've called this series Jesus Over Everything. And the reason we've called it this is because at the start of the book, Paul lays down this foundation for us that it's all about Jesus. And we just sang it, we've just been read it, we've just been prayed it, so I don't need to reiterate that for you, that it's all from Jesus. It's all for Jesus. He created it. He gave it. He sustains it. And Paul tells them that no matter how, Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter to the Colossians, but he tells them that no matter how much I suffer for this controversial message, I rejoice in passing on this incredible life-thriving, God-given, um, forgiving news to you. And this is Paul's life. This is what Paul is all about. And then Allie talked to us on the back of all this, Jesus is everything. Uh, Allie talked to us last week about how Paul reminds the Colossians to put to death their old way of life. And now this is really important. It's not so that they can earn God's love but so that they can live more and more healthily in what God has called them to do. And Paul tells them to put to death things like sexual immorality, like lust and greed and anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying. That's quite a list. But if you think about that list, how much more beautiful and healthy would this world be if those things were put to death in it? And how much healthier, whether you know Christ or not, would your life be and life-giving would your life be if those things, even subtle versions of those things, were removed or lessened day by day in your life? It was a powerful charge of Paul to the Colossians and to us. But, as I thought about this, this week, and in, in the past couple weeks, I think the trap that we as Christians fall into is that we can think that the whole purpose of our Christian life, the whole purpose of this Christian faith, is to lessen these things in our lives. The whole purpose is to become more righteous. The whole purpose is to become less sinful and, and, and more, more holy, more righteous. But here's the challenge I've been thinking about. And this may sound controversial at first, but let me tease it out. Jesus didn't die just to save us from the consequences of our sin. Although that's part of it. Jesus died, to, Jesus didn't just die to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us power and authority in that new way of life. He didn't just die to give us the power to live righteous, holy, forgiving, um, lustless, greedless lives. He died to give us life to the full. 
And that's so much more than, re than releasing a set of things from our life. He wants to add a whole beautiful set of things into our lives. And if you stick with me for a moment, I had an experience last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, that, that brought this reality to me. And this experience was called, put up the first slide here, Jacob. This experience was called grocery shopping. Put it, <laughs> I was going to say half the room, possibly Fiona's looking at me going, that happened once. <laughs> and that's why it was such a powerful experience. <laughs> I had this experience that reminded me of the lie we fall into, but the truth that Jesus is trying to, or sorry, the partial lie we fall into, but the truth that Jesus is trying to draw us into. You see, I was walking around Tesco, and I got through Tesco fairly quickly and efficiently and without too many problems, which was really important because I had all my three kids, and especially my youngest, and getting through a Tesco is a disaster. But I got through without too many problems because Tesco has done a wonderful job at, at removing many of the obstacles and problems and barriers to, to unsuccessful to an unsuccessful shopping experience. Tesco have been incredibly successful at removing um, disorganization from the shop, yeah? They've clearly labeled everything and every aisle tells you it's in the aisle and has a massive, I just realized this this week, no, I'm joking. <laughs> every aisle has a massive number on it so that all a shop assistant has to do to direct you to garlic is say aisle 17 and you go to aisle 17 and, and, and walk through it and you'll find it. Tesco has rid the shop of so many inconsistencies by having the same items in the same place week after week. We've been in shops in Romania that would different items every week and different items in different places every week so that if you're regular, which I am, you can get through that shop without asking anyone a question. Tesco has rid themselves of many stocking problems because their tills do an inventory for them every time you ding, and it helps them know what to buy and when something's running low and what people are buying more of and what people, it doesn't matter. Tesco has rid themselves of many inefficiencies by providing so many more tills. Tesco's and other stores of your choosing have solved or removed many of the barriers, many of the obstacles to make the shopping experience more clean, more tidy, less problematic, and more efficient. But as I waited in the queue, something hit me that made me think about all those things, because I hope you don't think about all those things every time you go. As I waited in the queue and stared at this massive plexiglass, which was obviously a byproduct of COVID, but as I stared at this massive piece of plexiglass between me and the cashier that was about 15 feet long and four feet high, this piece of plexiglass that, that limited the conversation between me and him or her to, as I got to the end, shouting at a distance, she says to me, card or cash? And I say, card, and I ding it against the thing. And as I watch everyone in line, looking at their phones, scrolling through the phones, or staring to the distance, and as I notice that most people in the shop are actually going to the queues 
that have no tiller at all, tiller? Teller at all, and you can just ding, bock, ding, bock, and put it in your bag and go. I realize Tesco have done a beautiful job at removing many of the problems, obstacles, inefficiencies from the shopping experience, but they've robbed us of one of the most important aspects of our lives together. Or sorry, not they've robbed us, they've removed from the equation one of the most important aspects of our lives together, connection and relationship. And that's just Tesco. But is that what we're doing? I think this part of Colossians we're about to read, to do, read today is so important for our lives today. Because is that what we're doing in so many aspects of our lives? And this next bit is, is not a critique, but, but what about our jobs, for example? Or sorry, it is a critique, it's not a criticism. How many of us work from homes because we've been directed to and now we're saving our companies a fortune and it's actually just so much easier than going into the work and meeting with your colleagues? How many of us, even if we do have to go into the office or the hospital or the school, if a problem can be solved via an email or via a text or via an app or, or via a machine, of course our companies and our systems have brought these things in because they solve so many problems. They make life easier. Or in our families. How many of us <laughs> have replaced so much good connection and relationship with Netflix or Instagram? Or if you're anything like me, it's the, the Google news feed. <laughs> because it's so much quicker and easier to get information and, and even solve problems via a screen. And here's the other reality. Do you know that you, well, do you know, of course you know. We can now almost gain any emotional experience or any adventure experience or any way possibility of connection, we can get through a different Netflix program. What do you want to experience tonight? There, there's an app for that. There's a show for that. So how easy is it to come home from a busy day, and I'm looking at myself, and connect as little as possible, and shut down and click, or shut down and scroll. How much easier is it to sit in that world where I can get so much and it scratches a beautiful, if not temp very temporary, itch rather than going out to a small group or a home group or rather than being the one that instigates that small connection or being the one that instigates that long overdue. I've just been meaning to ask, how are you really doing? Netflix. Prime Video, the streaming <laughs> option of your choice fills so many of those voids in our lives at that moment. And yet, the 21st century pandemic has actually become loneliness and anxiety. And if we're honest, I think we totally do the same thing with God. We're almost in April, and if you're reading through the Bible in a year or any other Bible plan, how easy is it to get to it 
just to get, spin through it, especially if you're in Leviticus or Numbers right now, just to get to that tick, to cut through that. I've, I've got another chapter in my Bible plan done. Get to it just because of habit, because you know it's the right thing to do, so I'll do it efficiently. How often do you and me sit and listen or worship just in the hope of or with the desire of being known or just somehow better knowing the Father, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We've replaced, we've gotten rid of some of the problems and challenges and inefficiencies in our lives, but we've replaced it with these much easier sets of connections and emotional experiences. And with all that context in our heads, we, we come to the final therefore, the final so what in the book of Colossians. And Paul goes through a few therefores. In chapter two, he says, therefore, guard your minds and your theology. And it's really important to guard your minds and the, your theology. It's really important to know what God says. But that's not the final therefore. We go through the, the therefore of remember you have freedom from the law and, and from human rules. And it's really important to know that we're not just searching legalistically to try to earn God's love. But that's not the final therefore. The final therefore is not about the, like Ali last week, the ruthless elimination of problems and inefficiencies in Tesco's or the ruthless elimination of sin and challenges in your life. Although God desperately wants to make you more and more righteous. He, he is constantly doing a work of sanctification, tidying up your life and convicting you of untidiness and of brokenness because he wants you to live a holier and more beautiful and more life-giving life. But the final therefore, the final thing Paul calls us to in the book of Colossians again, Colossians, is a call to relationship with God and with others. And I want us to hear this. It starts like this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, righteous, set apart, and dearly loved. If you're a Christian today, do you hear the, that? Do you hear especially those last two words? And if you're not... <laughs> Do you hear that God's calling you into that today, to know him in that way today? The first chapter of Colossians tells us that we were once enemies of God, 
But God was not satisfied to leave us in that place, that he was the one who reached out to us, that he was the one who came after us, that he was the one who crossed the void and paid the price for your life on a cross. When you were an enemy of God, or even if you are still a distant, you probably don't think of enemy, but at distance from God, he came or he is coming after you. And even now, you may still, you may be in Christ, but still feel like a bit of an inconsistent mess in your habits and your patterns all over the place. But he is the one that desires to continually do a repairing, renewing, rejuvenating work in you. And as we come to the end of this book, Paul, God through Paul is telling us that you are holy in Jesus and you are dearly loved. John says it this way. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You are dearly loved. That's how Paul starts this final imperative, this final therefore, and if you hear nothing else, I pray you hear that this morning. But then he goes on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Next slide. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the final thing Paul's calling us to. And I love this list for a whole lot of reasons, but compassion Compassion you don't find as you whip through a well um, signposted Tesco and get out the door. Compassion only comes with time and with space. Compassion only comes as you see or hear or walk with someone in their story. Because when their life's a mess, your first response is probably annoyance. (laughs) But as you hear the complexity of their backstory and maybe are flabbergasted by the the broken reality of it and, and think about your own, you're just drawn to compassion for how do how does this person possibly find hope and life out of this? And when you find compassion, I think that leads us to kindness. Because how do we be brutal and how do we be aggressive? You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to move this way. When you've just seen or heard the reality of the brokenness brought on and brought from the person that's sitting in front of you. And when you know someone's story, and maybe more importantly, if you're honest with your own story, even if it's much tidier than theirs, if you're honest with the mistakes and the stupidity and the lack of learning in your own story, how does that not produce anything but humility? How do I come to you with superiority? 
And when we have humility, gentleness, and not bossiness or aggression is the, is the natural outworking. And patience. <laughs> I think about this with my kids regularly. When I think about how patient I know God has been with me, I am seriously convicted about my patience towards my kids. My father is so patient with me. Every day, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that costs time and it costs energy. It brings back in a lot of the inefficiencies we tried to rid our lives of. And it requires a whole lot of Lord help. At the start of today, I'm entering this or I don't even know what it is. So I know my, my desire is actually just to run through it and rush through it the easiest way possible. But Lord, help me to sit in it and glorify you in it. Do you love Tesco and a Tesco life that gets you through it with ease? Paul is calling us in to the mess and the challenge and the cost of beautiful relationship. And then Paul goes on, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you is grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And one thing I love about this, but the whole Bible is the brutal honesty of what the God continually walks us through. And the New Testament is never about what we maybe think, think about the church or what the world thinks about the church. Now that you guys are perfect Christians and you think you're superior or God sorted out your lives, go on and do all the good works in, in the fantastic manner I know you can. No, Paul finishes this letter by reminding me <clears throat> of the compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience I'm going to need to deal with many of you guys on a day-to-day -day basis. And you will desperately need if you want to put up with me as a staff member of Grace Fellowship Church. I love that he's raw and honest about the realities that you are going to hurt me and I am going to hurt you along the way. You are going to disappoint me and I am going to disappoint you along the way. So bear with each other and forgive one another because God forgave you. I think we forget to acknowledge that the Bible is often more raw and honest than we are. I love, as I always say, how honest the Psalms are about our struggles, about our doubts, about the, the paths we veer off, to, off of long before we veer back onto them. As much as they are about celebrating the faithfulness and love and holiness and awesomeness of God, bear with each other. Lord, help us to celebrate, help me and us to celebrate the beauty and the life and the gifts and the talents I see amongst you and you and me, I hope. 
but also help us to bear with one another and forgive one another. Because we're going to need that along this road. And then I want to jump down a couple verses. Because compassion and gentleness and kindness are so important. And that's such a beautiful, integral part of love. But we also cannot forget that love is not just fluffy and smiley and just encouraging and edifying. That love also fights for you. Love also strives to to pull you and you pull me out of darkness and into light. Love also warns of deception. It also lifts out of addiction. It also challenges harmful habits and patterns in our lives. And it pushes us graciously and patiently toward life. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. The word of God, the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing with God to gratitude. Josh admonished us this morning and Rebecca. And as I thought about this, I thought, hold on a second. What exactly is Paul asking us to do here? Because I I don't think we like this part of it. And maybe more precisely, what, what actually does it mean to admonish one another? So what do you do? You Google it. Admonish means to warn or reprimand someone firmly. Or advise or urge someone earnestly. Teach and admonish one another. We don't really like that, do we? We like the nice, encouraging, gentle, bring you along stuff, and of course we do, because we want that toward us. But this is the message actually throughout the Bible. Let's whip through these. Acts 20, Paul says this, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning. That's the same word for admonish. Each of you, day and night, with tears, with such emotion and love that he wept, he's admonishing. 1 Corinthians 4, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn, to admonish you as my dear children. Colossians 1, at the start of this book, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully Mature in Christ. Paul calls us to teach and admonish one another. But that is something that we don't like to do. We like to keep things just because it's easier, just because it's less emotionally costly on a kind, gentle level. But the reality is we all know as parents, or we know it in friendships, but as parents, you know it so clearly. Fiona and I would not be good parents if we always had comfortable, easy conversations with our kids. 
We wouldn't be good parents if we didn't have tough conversations with them sometimes about the way they talk to each other or us or about some of the things they do or, or want to do or about many of the things that are available to them to watch or to experience. We'd be absolutely irresponsible parents. And I wouldn't be a responsible parent if I didn't dig into God's word with my kids and read through it, do a devotion with them, something at their level and help us experience God's word together so even together we can be taught and admonished. <clears throat> and I wouldn't be a good friend, which I'm not sometimes, <laughs> if I wasn't willing to do some of the same things with you. But we avoid these conversations. Nobody likes to be admonished and, and nobody likes to be the one who's the admonisher. And yet every single one of us I know <clears throat> longs for deeper, more accountable, more life-giving relationships that are pushing us into holier, more loving more clean, less problem problematic lives. <clears throat> we need relationships that round off our sharpened edges. We need relationships that guide us toward life. But often we're not good friends to each other in those ways. And I hold up my hands. Friendship and this relationship that God draws us into is supposed to be a reflect, is designed to be a reflection of the relationship we have and a dim reflection of the relationship we will have one day with the creator of the universe. It's supposed to point us to this God who is our father, not just our master. It's to point us toward Jesus who lived the costly life, who died the death. It's supposed to point us to the Holy Spirit who is present and with us. <clears throat> but it's barely <clears throat> a reflection of that if we just stay on the encouraging surface. So what? Verse 17 says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. We're about to enter the last little part of Colossians, which, which carries on from this. But I love that Paul finishes this bit with whatever you do because you're not me and I'm not you and I don't sit in your shoes or in your places and you don't sit in mine. And this is all supposed to start in this context. We're designed to be these deep, to have these deep, costly, beautiful, life-giving relationships. But this is also supposed to overflow into what you do on a Tuesday or Thursday to the school, to the office, to the hospital, to the home, on the calls with whoever you're talking to. God's given us this love to catapult us into our world to live lives of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and bearing with one another. God's love compels us out of sin 
and frees us from it, gives us his Holy Spirit to free us into life. But he also draws us into true, deep, costly, beautiful relationships. Whatever you do and wherever you do it. We're going to worship in a second, and there's a whole lot there that can just be dumped upon us. So I pray, God, that you reveal to our hearts the beauty and reality of your word. I pray that you don't just expose with us, within us our weaknesses, but I pray you inspire us to a beautiful life-giving truth. And God, I pray you surround us with friends that will, and, and connections and neighbors that will pull us and push us toward you. Yeah, Jesus, we need you. I pray in Jesus, in your holy and awesome name.